Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? I'd like to break on, on this show here that I am a candidate to coach the Sacramento Kings. Aaron, you're you're gonna have to get in line. I'm already a candidate to coach the Sacramento Kings. Okay, so we got. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm gonna coach the Kings. You're gonna coach the Kings. Um, well, I'll take an assistant job if if you're offering. I'll take an. Assistant I, I am. Job. I am. Who else wants the job? There it is. Or an interview. In an interview, I, I'll interview anybody right now. <laughs> you're gonna have an open interview system. Is that what's gonna happen? It's gonna be like open tryouts for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's we'll right. make a movie about it called Invincible Two. Invincible Two. Except for we're gonna have to find someone named Vince to interview. We're gonna have the real Brad G uh, produce it and write it and that's, tweet it. That's right. Okay, so let's get to a little bit of business here. We're going to talk all kinds of things here over the next, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. It's your typical Aaron Bruski and James Ham riff. Uh, we're going to come back with a second podcast this week, probably Saturday afternoon, maybe Sunday morning. It, it will have some really, really cool stuff that uh, – we kind of we haven't done in a little while, so uh, we're gonna get you ready for free agency. We're gonna get you, we're gonna answer some questions with some uh, some people in the know. But we're gonna start with uh, Aaron and I, and we're gonna well actually you know what Aaron before that I, I want to start with this. I absolutely adored Prince, and I am so sad to see that he passed away on on Thursday. Uh, what a just an incredible incredible artist and. Uh, performer just such a sad day for music fans everywhere yeah i mean just a pure genius and i spent the entire day just listening to the music and also just listening to him talk in various interviews he's so thoughtful and the music is tran it's it's so transcendental i'm getting the wrong words here it's a transcendent transcendent uh, the transcendent music with so much meaning and when you compare it to the music of today it's just like apples and oranges and pineapples it's not even close uh there's a show i re- recommend everybody to go watch uh it's like in 1982 and it's it, the the camera work is in black and white it is easily the best live performance that i've seen in, in a very long time uh it's on youtube and, and just go check it out your day will be better for having watched it yeah i was watching a george harrison tribute where he was on the stage with like Man, it was Tom Petty and Eric Clapton, all kinds of guys, and and he they were doing uh, while my guitar gently weeps, and Prince took like the final solo, and it was just incredible. Actually, he, he made those guys look like normal Joes. Yeah, there was a tweet from Eric Clapton. Someone asked Eric Clapton, uh, "How's it feel to be the greatest guitar player in the world?" And he said, "I don't know. You need to ask Prince." Uh, hey, that's yeah. something else. 
Yeah, yeah, and Eric Clapton, I mean, incredible, incredible. So, uh, yeah, so sad day, uh, Purple Rain. Sad day for uh, music fans everywhere. Okay, so let's get to this, Aaron. We've got some heavy, heavy lifting to do. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are having a, uh, it's almost like American, American Idol shut down. So they decided to, you know, to take on the role of American Idol and, uh, somewhere there's a, a large auditorium with Vlade Divac, uh, Vivek Ranadive, and, uh, I, I don't even know who the third would probably Peja like sitting there, maybe DeMarcus Cousins as the third judge. Uh, <laughs> and and people have lined up and they all have these really cool like pieces of paper with a number on their chest. And uh, thousands of people have thrown their name in the hat for the head coaching job of the Sacramento Kings, which rightly they should uh, because everybody, there's only 30 jobs and everybody wants to have a job in the NBA as a head coach because... If you fail in your first two years, you still get paid for the second two. So it, it, it's a good gig. Okay, so Aaron, we're going to walk through this. And it's going to get a little dicey because there's so many names. And, and first of all, I, I, we're not even going to mention names. I just want to know what you think about the process. How is the process gone in your mind so far? Are you comfortable with really open tryouts? Um, well, let me get my joke out of the way because I've been sitting here thinking of this joke the whole time. It's that how great would it be if they did a reality show like The Bachelor, but The Bachelor's Vivek and all the coaches have to woo him and he has to woo the coaches. That to me just would be phenomenal television. Now that I got my joke out of the way. I think it would be better with Vlade. Maybe he could just be like a part of the, the show. Like he just shows up says his piece, but Vivek's got to be the guy. I think for comedic value, Vivek's got to be the guy, uh, obviously because of all of the, the backstory with Vivek and, and kind of how... You couldn't see Vinny Del Negro like, sitting there like brushing Vlade Divac's beard with it, like the, <laughs> the side of his fingers. Like, <laughs> yeah, Vlade. I can. I, the whole thing... I, I love this. Put it this. this way. You can't make something up with the Kings that I would go, nah, that couldn't happen. And this is not as big as other stuff that's gone down, so I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but... You know, talking with sources inside the walls, this is definitely a Vivek Ranadive driven process having the uh, open tryouts, if you will. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this uh, because I think that you have this big year of big headlines and none of them are good. And a lot of the names on this list don't need to be on this list. And they're they're all candidates that it, I mean, some, not all, but a lot of the ones have been announced here in this, this week are guys that have been practically run out of their last job. And in some cases just this season. So why subject your brand to that additional ridicule? And then you go to, then you cross the, the, the road of, did they actually think that it would be a good idea for, you know, coach X to be brought in, then you start to wonder about their evaluation process. So I do believe that they're bringing just people in. So maybe they don't think that Coach X is fit for the job, but they just want to do this big old due diligence project. Um, 
so but that that's all problematic because it does perpetuate the narrative that the kings don't know what they're doing and that gets used by agents and that gets used against the kings in free agency and even with things like the draft you know i don't think a lot of agents are going to be trying to steer their clients to sacramento at this point in time so that to, to that degree i think this stuff is a little bit um you know it's a minor issue okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna disagree completely and the reason why I'm going to disagree is I'm going to tell everybody right now. The Sacramento Kings have not told anyone who their list of interviewees are. They have not openly told a media member anywhere who it is that they are bringing in for any interview. They are not confirming or denying any interview. So what does that mean? And people are going to go, well, how come I keep hearing? You know, I've... I've like penciled down just off the top of my head, not being able to go through the list that I've had in the past, but uh, like 14 names that I've come up with. Uh, I have a slider on CSN with 14 names that I could add uh, another name or two to as well. Um, But this is not like what we're seeing so far. This is agent driven. The agents have called and thrown their, their guys names in the ring. This isn't some wild and crazy the Kings keep whispering names out like through like there's there's a spy inside and he's sitting over at the Taqueria, which is really good. I think it's Taqueria Rincon over uh, off of uh, Truxel and he's got like a little hole in the drain on, in the floor and someone keeps whispering names. Sam Mitchell. And it's like and then he's sitting there typing Sam Mitchell is a Kings candidate. This is all driven from the outside. And but from, Sam Mitchell didn't didn't they spend the night hanging out? Well, Sam Mitchell came into town and and, and had an interview. Right, right, right. So that I mean that's an interview that's on the books that shouldn't have happened. Well, okay. Uh, let me just tell you why <laughs> why I believe you're wrong. And, and so, ooh, I just said it, Aaron. I said it. I believe you're wrong because when I look at Doc Rivers bench and I see Mike Woodson, candidate, and I see Lawrence Frank, who somehow isn't a candidate, and I see uh, Brennan O'Connor, and I see Sam Cassell, and none of them are the the head coach. They're all the assistant coach. I actually like that bench. I would love for Sam Mitchell or for Mike Woodson or for Mike Brown or for one of these many other coaches that – aren't likely to get the job to be sitting on the Sacramento Kings bench as an assistant because that's where you get real quality of depth. That's And I'm not bashing the Sacramento Kings bench from last year. I'm just saying that not one of them had a game of head coaching experience under their belt, except for Chad Iskey, who basically coached the entire season from the bench. But outside of that, no one had so if you're gonna fire George Carl, we had this dilemma in the middle of the season, right? If we were gonna fire George Carl, you and I disagreed. You said Corliss is fine, throw him in there. Corliss might have been fine, but would that be fair to Corliss? I, I don't think so. And and the problem that I see is that the Kings didn't even have that next step. I would love to have a tiered system where they have plenty of coaches with experience. They can pull <laughs> a guy aside and say, look, or can say, hey, I really, I tried this with so-and-so team and this works really well against this look. It's like, oh, okay. 
coaches that have actually game planned for other teams before and done all of the work, you know, I think that there is value in having full-fledged head former head coaches on your bench, but that's just me. So I'm going to say I, I think a lot of these guys are being brought in just to kick the tires and say who is it and, and as favors because an agent saying, hey, you know what, I'll let you interview this guy, but I also want you to interview these two guys because if you enter these two, these two guys, it gets their name back in circulation and there might be a chance for them to get a job down the road or an assistant job or something else down the road. But let's start with, with this. I'll give you three and one of them you're interested in, the other two probably not. So I think there's a lot of like cat and mouse going on here. But I, I like the process because at this point, Scotty Brooks is gone. Tom Thibodeau is gone. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy, just so people who don't know, there's a very good chance that J.B. Bickerstaff is already out in Houston and Jeff Van Gundy is a new head coach of the Houston Rockets. If that's a shock to you, I'm sorry I just spoiled. I, I ruined Christmas. Uh, Earl Watson stayed in Phoenix. Uh, it looks like both the Lakers and the Knicks are doing something silly and keeping their head coaches. It's just, there's not that many jobs left. Why not interview everybody that is eligible and see if one of them stands out and says, I am the right guy. That sounds terrible. That whole bit sounds terrible. Because <laughs> when you hire your coach, he's going to want his own assistance. Well, yeah, but you need to know them anyways. Yeah, I, I guess. And I guess you could play the agent game. I I mean, it's one of it's the only opening right now, if you count the, the Lakers. And I, I don't buy that the Lakers are keeping Byron Scott, but um, maybe they will. Who it's knows? It's a little late now. I mean, it's an interesting decision. And Adrian Wojnarowski pummeled them for for waiting on Tibbs. And I don't know if Tibbs would have ended up in L.A. And then you got the whole Phil thing in New York. But, I mean, this is a small issue in the grand scheme of the Kings brand, if you will. Um, I I don't know that I would do it that way. Um, It's, I mean, yeah, it doesn't hurt in terms of, like, if you've got the time, (laughs) go ahead and do it. But it does. I mean, when you tell your when you tell your fan base that Brian Shaw is and and again, maybe we just limit this to the to the names that are, you know, already have interviews. If you okay, will. wait, wait, if you're going to tell your fan base who told their fan base, well, it's just limited to the guys that have, quote, interviews scheduled. OK, and do we know anyone outside of Mike Woodson who they asked if they could talk to him and were given permission? Right, right, right. We'll just leave it with him and him and Mitchell. Neither of those guys should be the coach of the Sacramento Kings. Well, yeah, but neither of them are guaranteed anything. Right, but when you when I think when you interview that those two, like if Mike Woodson was the move, and you have all these other coaches available, it's one of two things. One, nobody in the world wants to coach for the Kings. Maybe that's true, but I don't think that's true because it's one of 30 jobs. Yep. But, I mean, it, it, it would mean that you picked the wrong coach. What, I if, mean, if you it, interviewed, it, I mean... It, if you picked Mitchell or Woodson, you, you would have picked the wrong coach for the Sacramento Kings because there would probably be about three or four or five better candidates at, at a minimum. Well, yeah, but when you interview for a a ceo position you don't bring in two guys 
I mean, there was a great article over at Sacktown Road. This is the first coaching search that they've had in eight years. Yeah. Well, and, and the I last mean, time in, they in had Washington, a coaching search. Washington went in with a laser focus. So, like, say you wanted Scott Brooks. You know, I, I think the Kings. Well, you didn't want Scott Brooks. No, no. I think that it would have <laughs> been. But, no, say you're the Kings, and, and they definitely want Scott Brooks, right? You have a way better chance of getting a Scott Brooks if you hone your energy on Scott Brooks and let him know how much you want him. Okay, but what if you already knew that Scott Brooks wasn't coming to Sacramento? What if you already made the phone call and were already told, look, he's not interested. He's a George Carl guy. He didn't like the way things happened. He's not coming to Sacramento. Yeah, I've been told that he would have come to Sacramento. And also, I think he knew that he was getting the Washington job. So with that in mind, I think maybe they wanted to see if they could kick the tires on L.A., but I don't think L.A. was interested in Scott Brooks. Well, no, but I mean the Kings. The Kings, I, I don't think he was coming. They were pretty sure that they were told. By, I'm pretty sure. If Washington and, and Houston get dicey, Scott Brooks is talking with the Kings. Well, yeah, but those two would have had to get dicey first. And they easily could have gotten dicey. I mean, Washington, if you... He's I, a pawn, I, though. I mean, really, for Washington, Scott Brooks is, is a good coach, but he's a pawn. I mean, the, really, the, it's a unique fit. I actually like the fit there for him. Because I like John Wall as a guy that won't take too much rope. And I think that, yeah, if you're making all this, all these moves to get Kevin Durant, you know, if you're Washington, you might as well follow through with the last step and bring in a coach in Scott Brooks that he's not going to, like, lose you. You know, he's not going to lose the locker room. He's not going to be a disaster. He might not have the X's and O's to, to make an adjustment in the playoffs, but he will keep that locker room in a good place. And he has upside you know he's he's 50 years old but he has upside as a coach in that he's got a tremendous amount of experience it happened very early in his career he's probably not as burnt out as your equivalent 10 to 15 year head coach in the association but he's jam-packed with experience in the front part of his career so there's upside there um but if you're the kings if you're the kings though and you wanted brooks you know what are you doing interviewing 15 guys now i get it if 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 his agent says, you know what, we're, we got Washington and that's that, then, yeah, you don't go. But what about some of these other candidates? Ettore Messina, who's in the playoffs, so he's a hard guy to talk to. Or, you know, down the, down the road, like Kevin McHale. Well, but how do we know that they aren't interviewing all of these coaches? No, I know they're going to interview all of them. I just wonder about, you know, seven versus 15 or however many interviews and we don't know how many interviews they're going to have, you know, and you're right that a lot of this is being put out by agents, but it'll be interesting to see what that final number is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the one guy that I think, uh, like, you know, there's some, sir, there's some guys out there that haven't had head coaching experience. Uh, isn't Lorenga and Uh Emmy. I I like Emmy Yudoka personally. I think he, he's got a tremendous upside, he spent four years with San Antonio Spurs and I watch him the way that players respect him all not just the Spurs other teams come over and like they respect Emi Udoka anyway I I like him and but we're not going to find out about some of these guys because the Spurs aren't going to let a coaching search derail them now I am going to also tell you that Vladi Divac has gone to their 
the Greg Popovich well multiple times to have conversations about what to do next. I mean, this is what he's a Popovich and that front and, and RC Buford. I mean, he knows them. Divock has sought advice from them in the past. I love that hire. If they could pull off Messina, I think that that would just be that would speak very well. I think the story would begin to turn a bit about the Kings, you know, um, just a, just a little spurs by affiliation, you know, in the media would go a long way. But he's a good coach and obviously working under Popovich. The Popovich tree is just very, very, very strong. Yeah, the Popovich tree is incredible. But again, I mean, I like I like that, that those guys might be in the discussion. So but in the meantime, you have to interview other people. Because if they're not ready to do interviews yet because they're about to go into late June, you can't – I don't think you can wait all the way around for a championship guy who's sitting on a bench. And I wish the Kings could wait, but they have too many other pressing matters. You can't just have a head coaching search stop and be put on hold for two months while an assistant for someone else keeps going. And you know Luke Walton, the Kings, this whole, oh, the Kings will have a conversation with Luke Walton – let me just tell everybody this. This is this shouldn't be any surprise. Luke Walton is not coming to Sacramento. He's also not going <laughs> to New York. You know this whole they were teammates. They have an affinity for each other. You know what? Luke Walton was teammates with a lot of people, a lot of people in his career. He is not absolute he is not coming to Sacramento. And it's not because the Kings job is crap. He's not going to New York. He's not going to LA. He's going to sit right where he's at. And there's one reason why. Because no one knows the long-term future of Steve Kerr as a head coach. And if you can walk into a two-time championship job and take over the reins and possibly coach a dynasty, you have to you have to wait. You have to see. You and he knows more and Steve Kerr knows more. Steve Kerr said I was there at the Warriors media. He said, look, if one of my coaches will never say no, if it's someone going up to to be a head coach, I'll never limit my guys. But there's a time and a place. It will have to, I mean, next week is a time and a place. When the, the Warriors sweep the Rockets on Sunday, which is likely to happen, then the the Warriors just all of a sudden get like a week off. And that's when Luke Walton, if he were going to field any of that stuff, that's when he was doing it. But he's not going to do it. He's not taking any jobs because he would be foolish to take any jobs. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, and and what I'm saying with this is nothing, I don't think, we're not moving the needle on the Kings narrative anytime soon. They get bludgeoned in the press. They get bludgeoned yeah. with free agents. <laughs> and that that hurts the bottom line. It hurts with free agents. It hurts with um, just anybody coming into the league through the draft. I mean, it just hurts in general. It doesn't hurt the business operations, which are really, really, really good for the Kings, but it hurts them everywhere you could imagine it hurting them. And so it's just one more log on the fire. It's not changing the dynamic there. It's not the end of the world. Um, It's just something where I would say, you know, if I'm looking for indicators that this front office has gotten things under control in terms of their organizational hierarchy and structure. I'm not saying, Ooh, that's the glaring example that things are turning around. I'm looking at it saying, you know, it's kind of more of the same and um, not a huge deal, but at the end of the day, 
hopefully they don't do something crazy and take like say Vinny Del Negro. As long as the coaching <laughs> hire is the right hire, as long as they dwindle it down to two or three guys that make total sense, and we're all looking at it and saying, "Huh, that I I'm in, I'm in. I like that. I like that grouping that you've come up with." And you know, again, like Vinny D. His record and, and past jobs, really, I mean, he had 56 wins this last season in, with the Clippers. I think with Vinny, the the criticisms are similar to Scott Brooks' strategy, X's and O's. Talk to the guys at his previous stops, and they'll, they've got log sheets of the, that stuff. And, and I'll say this. I think Vinny deserves another shot in the league. And if you're looking for a job that probably fits the the – the structure of, of something he deserves a shot at. It's the King's job, which is being considered around the league. Like, I don't know, an F grade job. You know, it's the, the toxic job that theoretically nobody wants though. There's 30 of these things. And so people will continue to make a run at it. Uh, it's the kind of job he should come back into the league and get. I just think the Kings are in this really unique position as the only available opening as of right now. And with tremendous coaching candidates available, I think they, if they can just pull it together and convince, if they can have a good sales job and convince whoever they're talking with that we've learned from our mistakes, we've turned it around, and we're not going to mess with you, we're not going to fire you halfway through the season for something crazy, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff, then I think they have their pick of the litter on some really good names. Yeah, and we're already hearing that the Kings are are going to allow, I mean, if the decision is that DeMarcus Cousins sticks, they're going to allow whoever to discipline. It is what it is. The coach is going to be allowed to come in and and do what he does. I don't even know why that's a story, to be honest. We all know. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows why the George stuff went down the way that it did. I, I no, agree. no, no normal coach is going to come in and have any sort of malfeasance, for lack of a better term, out of DeMarcus Cousins and not be able to discipline him. And you know what? Michael Malone disciplined DeMarcus Cousins. There are things that happen behind the scenes that people don't know about. Michael Malone disciplined DeMarcus Cousins. He was allowed to discipline DeMarcus Cousins. So don't think that there wasn't situations. There were situations. And like I've said this in the past, Michael Malone, while he loved DeMarcus, and first of all, we already talked about this last week and people were shocked. Michael Malone didn't want DeMarcus Cousins when he was coming aboard. He was leery of Cousins. He was leery of taking the job. He thought it was best to trade Cousins before he started. Uh, but he bought in hook, line, and sinker and said, this is my guy. If, if, if he's not going anywhere, then he's my guy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. But don't think that Michael Malone, Michael Malone told me specifically, just because you know I had DeMarcus's ear, that didn't mean that my foot wasn't on his backside every day. It was. I mean, it's just, that's the way it goes. And, and you know, look, DeMarcus isn't the only guy in the league that's difficult to coach. I mean, what James Harden has done in Houston is nuts. I'd say a good third to a half of the league is difficult to coach. There are so many of them that do this same stuff. Now, maybe DeMarcus is a little more demonstrative, but it, it doesn't change the fact. I mean, at least, you know what DeMarcus does? He still leads the league in taking charges. He still plays the position. He still gets you rebounds, and he still blocks shots, and he still puts up a tremendous amount of points. 
You know, James and, Harden, the next time he plays defense, that'll be the first. And he's still the reason these coaches are, are more interested than they would be in the Kings job than if he wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, you and, look at what James Harden did in the in the game, uh, the last uh, Rockets-Warriors game. He stood there flat-footed, let Harrison Barnes spin on him baseline and hammer a ball down. And what does he do? He didn't even blink, number one. And as soon as he did turn around long after Harrison Barnes had already dunked the ball, after he'd already been completely destroyed on the defensive end, he starts pointing at Dwight Howard and yelling at him. <laughs> Those two are classic, man. Dwight That's doesn't a... know what to do with him. Like, looking at him like... Well, you... Dwight's pointing at him when it's his fault, so it's Dude, just it, the it's classic. it's the craziest thing. But what I'm saying is that, look, there are plenty of jobs out there with guys on the team that you don't have... That you're like, oh man, am I gonna be able to do this with this guy? And I, I think there are more people if they de- meet if they meet Demarcus, there are gonna be more people that are intrigued by the job because he's passionate about what he's doing. He's passionate about being a basketball player. He doesn't look at you with a blank stare. He's not pointing a finger at you on day one. He wants to get better. He wants someone to lead this team. Um, and, and that's something that I think going forward that we're gonna we're gonna look for. So. Aaron, we have this giant list. I mean, we got Kevin McHale. Uh, of course, Brian Shaw's name was thrown in late. Um, Sam Mitchell, who already had an interview. Mike Brown, which I don't even know. How how did Mike Brown's name get thrown in there? I think Mike Brown um, is somewhere. He's at like the high school, like all the star high school players go. It's IMG or something down in he oh, runs yeah, img academy yeah he runs that that's what he does now he's not in the coaching circles anymore he left the coaching circles um although michael malone always spoke very highly of mike brown and he, he said that um mike brown was a coach that allowed his assistants to do a lot of coaching and that's how he got so much experience uh when he was with the Cavs. okay so uh we've got woodson we've got venny d we've got Mark Jackson, we've got Luke Walton, which we already sort of crossed off the list. We've got Jeff Hornacek, we've got Nate McMillan, we've got uh, Ettore Messina, we've got Emma Yudoka, um, we've got Pat Ewing. Um, did I miss anyone? And who who do you like on the list that's formed so far? Who would you give a giant... Because We talked about this before. We're not going to tell each other until it's time, but who is your guy? Kevin McHale. Kevin and McHale. I, I'm looking for upside in these coaches. I'm gambling a little bit with the uh, the Kings in my predictions or my assumptions or what I would do if I had a vote on the, uh, on the reality show here. I would go Kevin McHale because he has the that knack for being both jovial and also commanding respect. And I think you got to have both. I don't think a disciplinarian... Uh, is going to come in and or like a stoic, quiet guy is going to come in and get to Marcus Cousins ear. I think it's going to be a lot of push and pull. I think it's going to take the gravitas of somebody that's got NBA titles, who's got respect in league circles, who's got, you know, respect with people like Shaq. You know, it's it, you know, all these people that are in, in DeMarcus's world, I think the more of them that can tell DeMarcus, yeah, this is a guy you should you, you should saddle up with and, and go to war with. I think that's going to help. And the other side of the coin is he's done well in Houston, in my opinion, and also he is a big man with 
and, and, and just screw the whole big man talk. He has the same exact skill sets that DeMarcus Cousins has. They, they already do a lot of the same types of moves in the post. So I think that the teaching angle there is tremendous. So that would be my first pick. I got a couple others, but I, I want to hear yours. Okay, so I love Mikhail, and I, I think he is a tremendous coach. I think you're right on that it, his ability to um, to coach DeMarcus as far as a post player would like that that would just be stunning uh and i like you know clifford ray is on the staff at houston which i believe he was on the staff before when mikhail was there clifford ray was a a king's assistant as well he dealt with demarcus as a young player so he's gonna mikhail's gonna have plenty of sort of people to bounce ideas off of here um so mikhail is not he's not one a he's not number one in, in my book, I, I would love Mikhail, and if he were the head, the new head coach of the Sacramento Kings, I would be excited because he's he's probably one of the more interesting coaches that I've ever dealt with. He literally will stop mid sentence and a media scrum and say, "All right, I'm done," and just turn around and walk away. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Wait, what? What did he say? He's he said I'm done. Oh, okay, and that's it. That's it. He like he's gone." Like, wow, that just happened. He just told us he was done after two minutes, and and he left. So there's a mood that he's in, and he wants to talk, and there's moods when he doesn't want to talk. Um, He's definitely an interesting cat with a great history and a Hall of Famer, and I think he's actually a really good coach. He had to fight through a ton of tragedy in Houston, personal tragedy. Uh, Mm -hmm. While he was there in Houston, his, his daughter passed away. I mean, he really, really went through the sort of all of the emotions there in in Houston. But my guy is slightly different. And I think some people will say, oh, he's a retread. And uh, my guy, I'm going to throw in that I'm going to back for the candidacy uh, is not Brian Shaw. Uh, It is Nate McMillan. Oh, man. I was sitting on pins and needles. I thought you were going to say Vinny for a second. No. My guy (laughs) is Nate McMillan. And I'm going to tell you why. Because, number one, uh, Nate McMillan did a tremendous job with the the Supersonics. And he was a coach on the floor. We all know that. I mean, watching him play, you had no question that he was going to be a head coach. And and I like that guy. I like sort of that guy who who led. Uh, he also was in the backcourt with Gary Payton. So while George Carl was the guy who had to coach him, uh, Nate McMillan has looked crazy in the eye and, and dealt wholeheartedly with it as a teammate. And so I really like that aspect of him. Uh, but I'm going to, his years in Portland were incredible. He broke down the jailblazers, the jailblazers. And I, I think people, some people forget some of the stuff that went on there. Um, Ruben Patterson like people, I think they forget what kind of person Reuben Patterson was. He literally got a giant contract after uh, after being arrested and I think convicted for sexual assault. Um, like not good people. I mean, and, and that wasn't the only one. Uh, they had young Zach Randolph, which was a nightmare. They had young Bonzi Wells, which was not not at all fun to deal with and Nate McMillan uh is they I think they call him Sarge he's he doesn't take it he's quiet until he's not and you know that there's a line that you can't cross 
and he dances on it. And then when you've crossed it, you're back in line or you're not there anymore. He is a, a pro's pro, but some other things that I really like about Nate, um, he spent eight years, I, I think it's eight in Portland. He probably would still be in Portland if it wasn't for the fact that Brandon Roy's knees went kaplunk and, uh, and the fact that they drafted, heaven forbid, Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. If Greg Oden could have been a player, Nate McMillan would have like developed that team and been incredible. He, he developed Wes Matthews and Nick Batum. Those are his guys. And so I, I like that aspect. The other thing, I, I think it's good for a coach when he goes through what he went through, where he actually went to management and said, look, you know, you need to know what's going on here and what the future is. And if you're rebooting, you probably need to reboot fully. And then they fired him like a week later after he told them like, look, if I'm not the right fit for you guys anymore, then that's okay. And they're like 20 and 21 at the time when he got let go. Um, but then he took a year off and he went and he traveled and, and he got back to basics with family and everything else. And then he came back and he coached, he's been coaching with Frank Vogel in Indiana for the last two years. And I love Frank Vogel. I think Frank Vogel is progressive. I think he's one of the best young coaching minds in the game. You know, if you look at what Portland is doing right now, uh, Terry Stotts has been very honest about the fact that he just flat out stole Frank Vogel's defensive schemes. He just went and watched video after video and they stole his schemes. And I, I think he's a good guy. I think he he might be the right guy uh, to take this team and to make to help them make a decision on whether Demarcus is a guy or not. Um, and and it's not like he hasn't dealt with wild and crazy stuff even in his time in Indiana. Uh, you know he he worked with uh, Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson has had nothing but praise for him as well. Uh, I just think for me he's my guy. He's a guy that I can respect. He's a guy that I think can turn things around, and I think he's a guy that, a little bit like Rick Adelman, where he was successful in his past jobs, um, but maybe it went south there at the end, and he's a guy that if you put him in, there's a good chance he's going to be in Sacramento for another 8 or 10 or 12 years and really be a, a fixture as a coach, as opposed to some of these guys who, you know, two, three years down the road, you might be saying, oh, God, what do we do? We got to reboot this thing again. So that's my guy. Yeah, I, 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 love, I love the soliloquy. God, I can't talk today. And I'll, I'll, I'll say he's in my list of uh, coaches that the Kings could hire that would be, you know, head over, uh, head over heels <laughs> better than some of these names that have been popping up. Um, I don't think he's a retread. I don't consider him a retread. I, you, I think you kind of nailed it, especially, you know, at the end when you said, like, at the end of his time in Portland, it wasn't good. I think if you talk to the Portland beat writers, they can probably lay out certain complaints that they had with the way things were handled. Him and Andre Miller bumped heads bad. Yeah, um, he did not get along who, with Andre Miller. Uh, Andre bumps heads, so that's not necessarily on Nate. Uh, with Nate, the... Um, but I think that he fits the definition of a coach with upside that has had the necessary amount of time away from the game as a head coach to be able to reevaluate, learn. You know, getting fired is not the the worst thing in the world for these guys. They can get that perspective that it's really hard to get while you're on the job. So, um, yeah, and I think Ime Udoka could also be a guy 
I think Jeff Hornacek could be a guy. Jay Laranega, though he's not even connected with the Kings right now at all. Yeah, we haven't heard guy. that at all. Some other guys that I, I mean, again, some guys I've never even heard of. I, I don't know the guy in Miami that, that's been thrown out there. Um, but again. Oh, Tisdale, yeah. Anything from the Miami tree is worth looking at, in my opinion. They're just so good over there. Um, it was yeah, interesting. They, Draymond's mom tweeted me the other day that they should consider Mark Jackson. And yeah. we, we haven't even talked about that. I'm not a big Mark Jackson guy. I'm not a Mark Jackson guy at all. And, and not for this situation at all. But I thought that, you know, if you're throwing wild cards, situa- if you're throwing wild cards out there, you know, maybe that could be one if him and Boogie get along. But yeah, let me read you a, a quote from Lance Stevenson on Nate McMillan. He no. talks to me before every game and makes sure my head is right. He calms me down. He's just a voice that brings positive thoughts to me when I'm down. He picks me up. I, that's the guy. Lance Stevenson is probably the most zany dude in the league right now. I mean, he's he, Ron Artest really Jr. That's a good quote because the thing that made Michael Malone so successful with DeMarcus Cousins was he Connected. constantly talked positively with him in the absence of having to lay down the hammer. So there's times to lay down the hammer, but the rest of it is constantly positive. And that is, you know, that's big. You, you have to be positive to attract positive energy out of a negative situation or a negative person. It's a weird way of going about it. the old way of being a hard ass just doesn't work anymore. Um, at least not these days. It may have worked back in the day, but not anymore. No, but you still have to be able to rein it in and tighten it up and say that's not okay. I mean, yeah, you do. That's, that, that, that's the mixture that they they bring to the table, though. And yeah, they, you have they, to find they that. Can guy. do that. Michael Malone can do that, but you have to be able to do both, especially these days. Yeah, yeah. So I again, like I wrote on this the other day, it doesn't matter X's and O's. I mean realistically all nba head coaches basically do the same thing uh i know that as long as they don't do what george did <laughs> well no but exact except for george i mean i i'm just he's an outlier I, I mean honestly and we're not just beating on george here he's an outlier his he prides himself at being an outlier that's it's what he wanted it, it, what he again we're not going to get into the george carl george carl no longer coaches sacramento kings we don't need to worry about it um but Almost every other coach in the league and in the game of basketball, they coach the same basic concepts. I mean, you have some guys that are outliers besides George, like um, Mike D'Antoni, the seven-second offense guy. I mean, you have these guys that are out there that do things that are different, and then you're like, I don't think I want that as part of my stuff. Um, But uh, I really do believe that if – if you see if you're Nate McMillan and you know that your offense in the past has been slow and then you go and you work with Frank Vogel, you see how you can positively influence the game by turning up the 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 pace of the game. I mean, Indiana, they may not be the fastest team in the world. They rank ninth in the league in pace. That's you need to be ninth. You don't need to be first. First means that you turn the ball over sixteen and a half times a game. That's what first means. And it means that your your big man goes in for treatments on his feet because his feet hurt so bad. That's what that's what being first in pace does. Um, but being ninth in pace, that means that you run a good amount of time and you make teams pay, but at the same time, you're not frenetic and out of control and crazy. Right? They have a they have a lot of guards in Indy. So they, they had the really interesting proposal 
will to increase the pace. They talked about it all season. They talked about Paul George at the four. They ended up going away from that yep. with Paul George because they have so many decent bigs. The um, the hard part when you have three guards that handle and jump shoot is that you know it makes it makes it make sense to run. And they finished seventh in the East. They were disappointing at the end of the year, but now Paul George is on fire. They might make some noise in the playoffs. It's just that it probably a wonky discussion on X's and O's, the Indiana Pacers. But yeah, I like McMillan and those four names that I think I rattled off five or six names. I rattled off. That's why I think the Kings don't have to settle here. They nope. they can get a good coach. Yeah, um, I, I do. I so. like Hornacek. I like Udoka. I like Messina. Uh, Messina. I, I like all of them. I, I do. Um, is there one that stands out over the other? I don't know. I, you just, you have to find a leader. You have to find the leader of men. You need, like, it's, it's really strange. You need to find Michael Malone's personality, a guy who, who shares that passion for, for doing it right and for demanding excellence and for leading guys into battle and not sending them. He gets as excited over a dunk as the guys do. Well, yeah, I mean, and he plays defense on the sidelines. I, <laughs> That's the greatest I, clip I've seen in a long time. Hey, of a coach. I, I love Michael. I, I think he's a great dude. He And I think his approach is really good. But his approach wasn't always really good. And he had to work on that. And, you know, I he was known as an emotional guy who lost his cool as an assistant. And he really had to restrain and, and rein it in to get that job, to get his first job. and But that's he's also the reason why i have very little interest in mark jackson because vivek was very clear when he came on board that he believed that michael malone was coaching the golden state warriors and not mark jackson and you know so mark jackson might be a leader but you got to have a leader who actually understands all of the nuances the x's and o's and is willing to get in there and get dirty and that's what the kings need so I, that's why i'm not a mark jackson fan i you know, you can love him in or hate him. In this day and age, but... you have to be both. You can't coach by narrative. You have to have had your hands dirty in the film room and really be a nuanced coach, a Steve Clifford, if you will, a Frank Vogel, an Eric Spolstra. These are the new wave coaches of Brad the NBA. Brad Stevens, yeah. Brad Stevens, exactly. It's, it's not enough to have played. You have to, it's almost, I'm, you just have to study coaching as a as a topic and then you know proceed from there i agree and i i liked what uh malone did when he left sacramento uh, when he was let go he went and he worked with flip saunders for like two weeks in minnesota i like what thibodeau did last year he worked for like 10 different teams during the off season uh during the season he bounced around all over just as like a consultant they would if come he gets in an offense time. oh man well, but see, that's the deal. You have to you have to know what you know, and what you don't know, you have to reach out and, and find someone who does know, or you need to get better at it, and you need to know your faults. And I certainly that's what I like, Thibodeau. For me, again, you and I can disagree on this. I liked Scotty Brooks a lot better for for the Minnesota job uh, than I do for um, for even the Washington job or than I do for Thibodeau for the Minnesota job. But if you teach Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and Zach Levine how to play defense, uh, you might have something. They're going to be scary. And I'll say this about coaching. Defensive coaches, defense in general, is very 
meats and potatoes. You're reacting to what the offense does. In offensive basketball is like artistry. That's why these these geniuses like George Carl and and Don Nelson and Mike D'Antoni are are a little bit out there. Is to to coach offensive basketball, you have to be creative. You have to constantly be reinventing things. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. You're talking about tricking world-class athletes that played this game at the highest level for years and years and years and years. Tricking them is not easy. No, it's not. And you know what? I I, I think the Kings are, I, while the, the process might scare some people, I'm okay with the process. I am. I, you know what? Find the right guy. Read I'm all right out. with it. I just think it should be on reality TV. I just think they should televise it, you know. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? I, I, you know what? It would just further the narrative. It would, Aaron, <laughs> it would just further the narrative. All right. So, uh, again, we're going to do things a little different this week. Uh, we went without a guest today, but the guests are coming. Um, we're going to have Monty Poole on. Uh, my good friend, Monty Poole from CSN, who is the Warriors insider. And we're going to have him on because he's had a very strong relationship uh, with both Luke Walton and Mark Jackson, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, But he was there on the ground and knows their coaching styles. And if they are part of the Kings coaching search, part of the the questions here, Monty's going to have some answers for us. Um, And absolutely excited to... We've had him on on, uh, the past podcast that... We do not talk about anymore, but uh, the great and powerful Larry Kuhn is dropping by to break down all of the new nuances to the NBA crazy blow-up salary cap, what it means for guys like Seth Curry and Quincy Acey, uh, who it appears both are opting out of their deals in Sacramento. Um, but yeah, we're going to have Larry Kuhn on. He's going to break it down. He's going to tell us how crazy this thing could get. Um, he's always such a bright interview and, uh, very, very talkative. So, uh, look for that on Saturday afternoon, maybe Sunday morning. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of do a dual podcast this week with a couple of, a couple of guests to add on to our, our normal banter. So Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Just get out there and listen to some prints, folks. It is just amazing, um, just amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And uh, rest in peace, Prince. Yes. Uh, drop on your Raspberry Beret. Uh, get in your little red Corvette. Uh, Purple Rain. Yeah. Sad, sad day for uh, for people everywhere because uh, Prince had a way of touching everyone in, in a different way. It's uh, definitely a sad day for for the world to lose a, a great artist like that. So, Aaron, I think that's going to do it. Uh, are you good? I am good. I'm gonna All go right. Get out and do some jogging in this nice weather. There it is. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Have a good day. <laughs>